Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, John tells us that his goal in writing his gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of every sign recorded in the gospel of John is for everyone to believe. And with that in mind, John picks seven signs. And it is a significant thing that he uses that word signs and not miracles. Because when you think about it, what is the purpose of a sign? A sign points to something. A sign draws attention, but not to itself. Now think about it this way. If you go to go visit the Grand Canyon and you see a sign telling you that it's 10 miles ahead, you don't jump out of the car and take pictures of the sign, right? You keep moving forward to where the sign leads, to the destination. And John often uses that word signs for Jesus' miraculous works. 17 times to be exact, he uses that word for signs. Jesus heals the sick. It's a sign. He walks on water. It's a sign. He uh, makes the, the lame walk. He gives sight to the blind, raises Lazarus from the dead. Sign after sign after sign. And John describes Jesus' miracles not as responses to prayer and not as divine interruptions, but as signs. They pointed to something else. Now, the turning of water into wine is the first sign that John records and the sign that we focus on here today. And so first we need to look at the occasion of this sign, the wedding. Jewish weddings were major celebrations. These celebrations uh, would last for an entire week. And the groom was responsible for making sure there was enough food and wine for everyone. And he paid for it all out of his own pocket. And failure to provide enough would almost certainly put a stigma on this couple for the rest of their married lives. So again, this was a big deal. This wedding was an important thing, and Jesus was an invited guest. John tells us that Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, Cana was a small village in the mountains of Galilee, about eight miles north of Nazareth. And a lot of people in that area uh, were either related to each other or knew each other. And so it's very likely that Jesus knew this bridal couple. And so Jesus is there enjoying this celebration. And then in verse 3, it says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's, what's the big deal? Well, here's why this is such a big deal. Because under Jewish law, each family was legally obligated to provide a feast of food and wine that met the social standards of that community. And to run out of wine halfway through the wedding party would not only make you the laughing stock of the community, but it also could even get you sued. And so when Mary said to Jesus, they have no more wine, she here is genuinely concerned about the social and legal welfare of this young couple. 
Now we know from, from uh, studying the catechism that we are to call upon the name of Jesus in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. In faith, we are to call upon the name of Jesus at all times. But in those times when we are in need, like when the wine ran out, the good news is found in Jesus. In Jesus, who answers our need with a new wine, a new hope. Jesus doesn't want us to be slaves to our sins, to our exhausted efforts, to so weighed down by our failures and past that there's no hope in life. We are to turn to him. We are to turn to him for help. And so as we go on, we hear Mary say to the servants, do whatever he tells you. At this point, she has no idea if Jesus is going to get involved or not. But she does know that if Jesus does get involved, it's in your best interest to listen to him. And so with that, Mary gives us some great words of wisdom. Do whatever Jesus says. Now, chances are most of us are going through something right now. Health problems, marriage problems, financial problems, relationship problems, just to name a few. Are we willing to do what Jesus tells us to do in his word? Even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it's hard work, even if it's inconvenient, even if it means doing something that we've never done before. Now we need to look at the performance of this sign. We're told that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now here we see that it took obedience and faith to follow Jesus' orders here. Because the thing is, you aren't really supposed to drink the water from these jars. Those were for ceremonial cleansing. And so when Jesus said, take some out and give it to the master of the banquet, they probably thought, he wants to serve water to the master of the banquet? He's got to be kidding. When the master finds out we tried to give him water instead of wine, he'll have our jobs. And if he finds out where this water came from, we'll really be in trouble. But then they must have remembered Mary's words. Do whatever he tells you. I still think it's probably safe to say their hearts were pounding as they took that water to the master of the banquet. But it's then that we see the wonderful truth. That Jesus enriches everything that's placed into his hands. The master puts the cup to his lips. He tastes the water that had become wine. And he says, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have drank plenty. But you have saved the best for last. Jesus abundantly provided for the needs of that wedding party. He gave the best wine. And he made 150 to 180 gallons of it. 
Now to put that into perspective, one gallon of wine produces five of the standard 750 milliliter bottles that we have today. And so if you do the math there, we'll see that Jesus provided between 600 and 900 bottles of wine. And we're not talking about the cheap stuff either. This was the good wine, the best, much better, much, much more than anyone could have expected. And this lavish and extravagant abundance of God's grace in this sign foretells God's abundant grace in Christ for each and every one of us. Luther wrote in the Small Called Articles, as he describes the five different means of the gospel, he begins there by noting that God is extravagantly rich in his grace. Extravagantly rich. God's abundance also comes out in the other readings that we had today. Isaiah 61 speaks of God's salvation extending to all people. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of God's abundant gifts to his church by his spirit. It's safe to say that God is abundant in his giving of grace to us. Someone once said, Jesus is in the business of turning water into wine, sinners into saints, fear into courage, sorrow into joy, defeat into victory, despair into hope, and death into life. Jesus never robs or impoverishes. He always returns to us something better than we are able to present to him. Jesus answers our prayers with more than we could ask or imagine. And he always gives us what he knows to be for our very best. This first sign that John records reveals God as a generous giver who is ready to respond to us with more than we could ask or imagine. Remember when Philip claimed that eight-month salary wouldn't be enough to feed everyone just a little bit. But when Jesus fed the 5,000, they were full, and there were 12 baskets full left over. Jesus gives us everything that we need, and then some. And we also see in our text today that God is saving the best for last. Jesus provided the, the best wine that was ever made. And he saved the best for last. And Jesus is also saving the best for last when we partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And so this abundant sign really changes the way that we look at Jesus. And imagine how the servants, the disciples, and Mary viewed Jesus differently after witnessing this divine work. Verse 11 tells us the disciples believed in him. And the servants at the wedding initially viewed Jesus as a guest. But then as the shortage became known, he became the master. Not everybody saw it, but the servants saw it. And so did Mary and the disciples. And they believed. And so do we. Which is why it's a problem when we treat Jesus like a guest. And we do it in, in different ways. We invite him to be present in certain part of our lives, right? At church, of course, maybe before meals. But there are other parts of our lives where he is not welcome. Maybe at work, 
or at school or with certain friends. But Jesus will not remain a guest, however, for he is the master. And brothers and sisters in Christ, what a blessing it is that we have Jesus as our master, an abundantly generous master who gives us the very best, forgiveness, life, and salvation. Amen.